The Competitive 40K Network presents Art of War. Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. Now your host, Nick Nanavati. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, Nick Nanavati, and this week we are joined by a guest we've had on the show before, Ben Jurek. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic tonight, sir. I'm doing great also. I'm super excited because you're one of my favorite people to have on the show. You're great at Warhammer. You're a rising star. You're coming from basically who's Ben Jurek to, to crushing tournaments over and over and over. And you were actually the winner of the Charity Hammer Tournament, which is something that's near and dear to my heart. So that's really awesome. Congratulations, Ben. Yeah, thank you very much. I definitely appreciate all the compliments. Uh, I know that you know, there's only been three people to ever win a Charity Hammer, and that's uh, you, John Lennon, and now myself. I know. Way to join our ranks. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, Ben, so what we're going to do here is we're going to have a two-part show. Part one is going to be a bit focused on you. We're going to get to know you as a player. You're going to get to know your play style, your philosophy, your approach for the game. Talk about Charity Hammer a little bit, the list you brought to it, and really just kind of your plan for taking on 10th edition in this new world we find ourselves in. Then in part two, we're going to talk about your specific list. Ben, you did play Eldar, the new, the, the less improved, but still very good Eldar army. And we're going to unpack exactly how it operates in this new world, what new Eldar lists will look like, and how they actually play on the table. And now that the meta is here, and it's here to stay, I think it's going to be really important that we all understand what to do against such reckless firepower. So that'll be for part two. That's our subscribers. You can subscribe right now on AOW40K.com. That is available for all for all of our patrons, along with our wonderful Discord server, which, Ben, I believe you're a part of. Yes, I, I do lurk in the Discord. I uh, post once in a while, but uh, I'm just a lurker. Nice. Can't blame you for that. All right, so I'm excited. Why don't we just start off with a little bit about yourself? How'd you get into Warhammer? Uh, I got into Warhammer um, in late 2017. Um, I, uh, well, I should rewind a little bit before that. In fourth edition, I had uh, helped a game store like install some carpet, and they gave me a bunch of store credit, and I bought Warhammer models with it. Um, and I bought orcs, of course, uh, at that time. And I played zero games. I had like a little like maybe a thousand point army put together, but I never played any games. I started collecting and doing stuff and never actually got in the game. Then in 2017, I took a trip to Europe uh, with my wonderful wife uh, and we had perused some Warhammer stores and like, it was at the end of, it was at the beginning of eighth edition end of seventh edition timeline. Uh, and like the triumvirate box was, was on the shelf and everything else. And she's like, she's like, Oh, I kind of want to get these. You want to, you want to get, you want to get some models too. And I was like, well, if we do it, we actually have to play this time. And uh, that's literally the, the long story short of uh, how that happened. So, uh, But it is cute to say that my wife got me into playing Warhammer. That's awesome. And, you know, it's very rare to see, like, a husband-wife couple going to tournaments and playing together. But I, I do see your wife go to these tournaments and to see you guys playing. You guys ever play each other? Is that competitive? Uh, this year, actually, um, we uh, we ran into each other in round two of, of a GT. Um, and I put her in the dirt real hard. Um and because I put her in the dirt so hard, she didn't get second; she got third. But we both oh podiumed together, so it's fantastic. Start, like some marital problems at home? Is that no, definitely, de definitely not. She she knows I play above board. That there was going to be no collusion of any sort. That you know is going to be a true result. <laughs> nice, cool. Glad to hear it. Okay, so how did you go from installing carpets and your wife's getting you into Warhammer to crushing GTs? What does that journey look like for you? 
so in early 20, in, eight, in 2018 was my first LBO. And I, I live in Vegas. So like LBO was kind of a local thing for me. I didn't really like plan around it. It was just like, oh, I'm going to go to this event. Happens to be in town. Um, and I went to LBO and I went four and two at my first LBO. Uh, and had like a cool like gargantuan squigoth list with like weird boy spam and such. And as I was like, that's that was like my first like, oh, I I can actually do this. Okay, like I I feel confident enough to like do this again. Let's try this again. See how see how good that's, I can do that's it. That's awesome. That's like very reassuring to have that like just jump in the deep end and then you know you actually can swim. It's pretty cool. Yeah. So I was I you know that gave me a lot of confidence and then I decided to like play it, but also like play it my way. Um, and the playing it my way uh, was sticking to orc, sticking to orc index, doing only orc things, and not getting too outside my comfort zone, not traveling a whole ton. Um, and then I kind of did like the same thing. I won like a local GT or two uh, for like the next two years. I started like innovating in orc lists and always and kind of stayed in my lane and stayed in my corner um, until uh, right after until COVID hit. Then nothing happened, and then right after COVID, I decided to just like push and travel and have fun. And in those travels, uh, I started like going to East Coast events and flying more other events um, to kind of like do the U.S. tour and get an idea of what Warhammer felt like on that stage. Uh, and I was doing well at all those events. I was, you know, X1 and X2. And I wasn't winning anything particularly out, outside like a small regional thing. Um, and I was, uh, I just missed top cut of the of a New Orleans uh, tournament, and I was talking to uh, Mark Perry. And he, you know, it was, it was kind of his, 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 something he said that's like really stuck with me where he goes, you know, if you actually like put in the effort and put in the extra time rather than just like messing around, you'd be really good. And, um, I kind of took those words to heart. And then within the next year, I started just like knocking out of the park and I was, even did it my way because orcs happened to be good in ninth edition. Uh, so I get up to that point and I finally win my first super major. You know, I'd won like a small, small GT here or there and I finally win SoCal open and there's a little bit of luck involved there, but, uh, you can check out that art of war episode. Um, it's somewhere in the archive. Uh, and I was just like, okay, this is what victory feels like. This is, this is, I, I, I feel like I'm the best player I, I, I've been at. Um, and then comes the team USA conversation where through, other channels and such, and me talking about my success at SoCal Open, it gets it gets out that you know I was that my next goal was to join Team USA. Um, so I get brought on uh, Team USA as you know someone who could as like a to to develop and become a prospect and possibly even start. Uh, and I within like the next three or four months, it felt like a training montage, you know, like, you know, like a DBZ episode or something of like going super Saiyan and finding new levels of play and this and that. And I'm playing euros and scrimmages and uh, playing some of the other best players from around the country and practicing and doing, putting more effort than I've ever put in in my life into this game. Um, and suddenly by like, by the time 10th comes out, it's, it's, you know, go. And I, I, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to grab the most broken army in the game, take what I've learned and apply it. And, uh, that has produced, um, fantastic results this summer. Uh, and those definitely yeah, no speak themselves. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, a lot of players play Eldar, you know, it's not like you're the only one out there doing it and your results definitely stand out from there. So that's part of what we're going to unpack in this conversation. And hopefully through your teachings, we can learn how to combat this force and exactly what it looks like. But I want to talk a little bit more about your process getting better, because that's uh, a huge journey 
with tons of lessons and, and philosophies attached to it. Um, and, you, you know, we kind of glossed over it in like two minutes or less. So along that journey, you know, that, that rigorous trial of going to local tournaments, getting a tour, Dave Warhammer, you put his hat around the country. Not many players get to do that. Um, you know, you and I are both privileged in that regard. So what did you learn by traveling around America, playing Warhammer with all these different groups and things of that nature? How does that develop you as a player? Um, you kind of, you, you get an idea for like diverse metas. You get an idea of the who's who and who you should be playing. Cause, um, I come from a competitive background. Uh, Warhammer is not the first thing I've been competitive at. Um, and you learn really fast that to get better, you need to play people better than you or practice with people that are better than you. Seek those guys out and get game and get your reps in with them. Um, cause you're going to learn more in one game with somebody better than you. And then you will 10 games with people that, you know, aren't playing at your level. That's absolutely true. Yeah. It's the fastest way to get better at the game. And then as you started to get better, what were the kinds of lessons you were particularly learning for yourself? Uh, a lot of lessons I learned was, was, a uh, was, um, you know, some 40 K skills and some just like personal skills. Uh, a couple of the like personal skills was, was learning patience. Um, something that I never want to lose sight of and never forget is to lose graciously to, you know, that we are playing plastic dollies to just be cheerful, be happy, be a pleasure in a sportsman before a win at all costs. And then those, those, uh, the, that I can never like, I don't want my integrity to ever be compromised by my need or drive to win. Um, I want to be a, a, you know, great opponent. I want my, when my opponent, when my opponents are losing, I want them to like, to feel secure, particularly outplayed. I don't want them to feel like they got cheated. I don't want them to feel like I'm being an asshole to them. I want them to feel that like, oh, wow, this guy is, you know, is everything that like he says he is or that the internet says he is or whatever. Like, I, I want to have that example. I don't want to be, you know, someone that people dread playing because I'm because uh, of the player I am. They want to dread playing me because I'm good. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm super glad you touched on that sportsmanship aspect. I think that that always goes under said. It's obviously something we value incredibly highly here at Art of War, but you know, I can never harp on this stuff enough. Like being able to work on yourself, not get lose graciously, as you put it. It's like the perfect way. Um, that's a huge element to it. And by losing graciously, you also become more self-evaluative and critical about what you actually did wrong because you accept the fact that, you know, it's a, it's a game and I can get better at it and things like that. So part of my journey was I got good fast. Um and then I plateaued and I sat at that plateau for a long time until I put in that like extra effort I talked about. Um, and that plateau was good enough to win some things. That plateau was good enough to ha get crushing defeat in the finals. I had an always the bridesmaid situation for a very long time. Um, I think a lot of players can relate to that, right? Who, who hasn't felt like the bridesmaid before? Like they do live in that lifestyle. How did you like, what was that wall for you, that plateau? And then how did you get past it? The plateau was just actually being warmed up and having like some sort of uh, tournament prep. Um, actually approaching an event seriously and going, okay, I have an event this this upcoming week. Here's the expected meta. Here's what I need to know how to play into. Let's get reps into that. Um, I wasn't putting in that work before. I was just like, oh, I like I know it in theory. I know it on paper. Or I played that last week. No, like I should have a game on. I should be having a game on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday before an event. Like that's not if if you if I'm not doing that, I'm not putting in the proper work and I don't deserve to win. Wow, that's a pretty rigorous routine, but obviously you've been able to put in that work and then get the results, the benefits of that kind of effort. 
how do you restructure your life? Obviously, this is like an enormous amount of time commitment to play that much Warhammer in preparation for tournaments, which you then travel to. Um, so I actually found some of the, especially with TTS and the availability of the pool of people that are willing to practice with me, um, I found it to be easier to practice and get time and get games in than any other video game hobby, honestly. Because like to be good at particular video games, you need to have hundreds of hours of, of grinding in to stay fresh. And like you need to be practicing weekly and daily and have like time in on those video games. Where like, you know, I, I come from, you know, you know, diamond platinum challenger level of various different games. And to stay sharp, you need to play a lot. Warhammer actually requires less time. It just it's more the scheduling that is the issue. That's a very interesting way to look at it. Yeah, I suppose you're right. It's like three hours. Uh, a day for like three days a week when you consider like what playing at an elite level and those hobbies are it's far more intensive than that so in that respect it is actually not that bad it's a good way to look at it yeah when i when i was given the the pitch to like what would be the player requirement to join the u.s national team um it was like yeah you need to be practicing at least you know once or twice a week on these scrims and i was like are you saying i need to play six hours a week okay like that's that's less time than i put in than most things all right, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> yeah, it's not so bad. So, talking about Team America, you mentioned like that is like your version of locking yourself in the hyperbolic time chamber and becoming a super sin and then coming out and leashing Eldar upon all the poor, unsuspecting Warhammer players of the world. So, what did you actually, what did that look like practicing for Team America? And then, how did you get better as a player through that process? Um, a lot of it was. Once again, playing players that are better than me and playing players that are the best at what they do. Because, like, I can go play a mid to high level player maybe once a month in my local area uh, at a particular faction if I need to get a faction. Where in, like, the TTS and team setting, I just be like, hey, I need a rep into, I need a rep into XYZ. And, like, it's, it's instant. It's not, I don't need to, like, go out of my way to try and get it. It's right there. Um, and those uh, with the ability of like through that technology and through actual also just like talking out games with players because it's not always just about the game it's always talking about like well tell me all the tricks learn learn you know learn me on this army so I know how to, to know how to play that army um, I find myself way better in a situation where I know how to play my opponent's army better than they know how to play it. It's a hard thing to be able to accomplish, and that's really just through like the repetitions, and then not only that, but like playing the game very conversationally with your opponent. Um, I guess like not, I guess explaining all the moves you could be doing. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So like you know, you talk through a game, and you're like, "Is this the right play? Is this the wrong play? Um, uh, I should oh, I should ingress here." Uh, like there's, and then you, you, it goes all the way back to list building, where like we're constantly shooting lists at each other, and it's like wait a minute and sometimes you just find gold and other times you you all come to the same conclusion so yeah so the, it sounds like you've got like kind of your your team of, of players that you bounce ideas off and play test with is that just your team america buddies or is that beyond that uh, it's beyond that um especially especially lately i have a lot of people reaching out trying to want one of the eldar uh, reps and the eldar advice and such so uh, i get i get i get some practice games in with uh with some euros and also with some people around the united states and it just goes to show i mean you're you're not the first person who's come on the podcast I and mean, like i play a lot of tts to get better i mean you just go online find the people in the discords and basically um you know everyone's pretty friendly for the most part they'll be willing to play is what it seems like yeah as, as long as like I, as long as I'm looking for the reps, um, 
I, I'm I'm there for it. Problem is, I decline a lot of people, that, uh, especially at this time, because like with my travel schedule, um, I have sometimes just don't have time, uh, especially in the weeks we even practice. But I'm like, okay, I already put in, you know, 18 hours of this marathon Warhammer here. I I think I'm good. So. Well, understandably so, but I just look forward <laughs> to my point, you know, like all those people that are asking you for a game are also available for games, you know? Yep, there, there, yeah, and there's there's no shortage of games and practice to be had with uh, with high-level opponents. Um, significant, there's there's none at all. Like, you, if you are having a trouble finding an opponent, that's on you. Right. So, let's transition the conversation a little bit from, like, how you actually got better in that process to, well, what do you do now? Because as far as I've known you, Ben, I've, like, followed your 40K career from when you were just getting started in 2017, really, and now watching you crush trainers is pretty cool. Um, but you've always been an orc player, and a very oddball, wacky orc player at that, um, running stompas before they were cool and stuff like that. So, you know, how did you transform yourself into this Wraith Knight murder machine? Uh, so, the there was definitely the, the conversation of um, you don't need to limit yourself. You can just play the broken stuff. And I wanted to do that for once. And I actually had no idea how busted 10th Eldar would be. I just knew I was playing Eldar from when the gates, when the, when the, you know, starting pistol went off. Like I, I played the, the first weekend of the 10th edition release. And I like, I was like, yeah, I know it's super busted. I know there's other busted stuff out there, but I know this is probably the most busted and that's what I'm going to play and apply my skill level to and see how far it takes me. Um, and I, I, draw, I get a lot of flack for it. Like that's the, that's probably the thing I get the most flack for is the fact that I'm an orc trader. Uh, and, um, especially right now, like post slate orcs are pretty good. Like they're they're I would put them in the A tier if we're talking like an S through, you know, an S through ABC type of tier, but they don't beat Eldar and Eldar beat a lot of things. They, you know, they don't beat. So I, I'm probably not switching much to other people's like dismay. Yeah, you hate to see it just because, like, you know, there's always that work loyalty and, you know, the facts and specialists. But you're absolutely right. Like, there is no need to limit yourself. I remember when I won ITC, I had a very similar kind of personal realization, like an aha moment. I don't need to limit myself. It's just a game, you know? So, like, it's just an example. I was, like, a longtime diehard chaos player. And then it, it was pretty clear it would be very uphill to try to win LVO with chaos at that time. But... Um, you know, Eldar was like a new shiny double spear in Ari, so put some brains to that and look at the results, you know. It's funny and, how and, also, and also rewind a bit, a lot of this is scope and scope of goals. Um, for the longest time, I wasn't trying to be a top 20 ITC. I wasn't trying to be top at ELO. Like, those, those weren't goals for me. Those, those wasn't in my scope what I was trying to do. I want to be one of the best work players. That's what I wanted to do, and that was my scope and that was my goal. And I accomplished that multiple times. Um, I never finished number one. Uh, Sean Naden swooped in, took it from me this past year, but, uh, <laughs> this, uh, yeah. Um, but I, uh, I, I always stayed in the top three. I was always regarded as one of the better war bosses in the country or, or you know, and I, that was my scope. I, de- I never put my, my horizons or my sights on being where I am, being where I am now or doing what I'm doing. Um, not until after like, basically you know some team pep talks within like the usa channels i'm just like i'm just like you know what like let's 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 uh let's you know un- uncage this beast and see see how wild i can get with it no i totally get that and it's obviously been working super well for you one would assume um that like 
Orcs are a very aggressive playstyle and pretty much nothing like Eldar. Like an Oric playstyle is like getting themselves killed to try to win on points. And Eldar is like, I never want to take a hit in the first place. Um, that's got to be a rapid mentality shift. I mean, once you get it, you get it. But what was that journey like switching mindsets and playstyles for you? Well, in the last episode I was on here, I talked about how I was playing orcs as kind of like checkers, but I had more pieces. And, you know, that, that comes down to what Art of War might teach as, as a, you know, active, having more activations and whichever. Um, with, uh, with Eldar, they just cheat. They, they cheat out three or four activations on things through movement or, <clears throat> or elsewise or being able to save their unit or not have their unit get interacted with. And they're such an uninteractive army that you activate three times, steal three of their checker pieces, and they get to steal zero of yours. Um, and it wasn't too hard of a switch once it, once it clicked that, like, oh, you're just doing one move to capitalize on three. Um, or in the Wraith Knight's sake, with how busted it was, like, you could, you know, with the amount of shooting phases you got between regular shooting phase, Overwatch, um, and whatnot, like, you you just got way more activations and way more value out of your uh, out of your Wraith Knight than you could anything else. And I come from a Magic the Gathering back, background, and, like, you know, two for one, three for one is a common, you know, statement in that game, where, like, you're using one card to deal with three of somebody else's cards and like that's that's how you win those games you want to take people to value town and all eldar is is value town yeah pretty much that so would you in this post-balanced data slate world would you can still still consider eldar the strongest army in the game absolutely absolutely not even a hesitation do you think other armies can compete and hang with eldar uh yes um and uh, i say that with a with a with a fret with a fresh look um and seeing what other armies can do, uh, it's no longer Eldar are no longer completely unfair to everybody. They're only unfair to the have-nots, um, and the have-nots are anybody like the B or lower tier. I think anything A tier, with the exception of like maybe CK, are uh, are very competitive in Eldar, um, and a lot of it a lot of it's going to come down to piloting. the The thing is, is that like an Eldar player can make a mistake and just lose now, where previously. If an elder player made a mistake, it just didn't matter. They can make three, four, five mistakes. It didn't matter. Uh, their, their list and their power of that of that index would cover it up. So, what helped you in the sea of Eldar mirrors, where your Eldar has to fight like four other Eldars to win a tournament, and that's you know pre pre balanced data slate when it's just Wraith Knights killing Wraith Knights? How were you able to consistently defeat those? Knowing the mirror better than anybody else. Knowing that like if I'm going to win this tournament, I have to beat the mirror. Literally, everything else doesn't matter. With like Krons giving me a pause for a second, uh, like knowing that like the matchups, like if I'm not winning the matchups that aren't the mirror, I don't deserve to be here. Uh, and the mirror is the thing I need to focus on, so that's the thing I practiced. And what does practicing the mirror look like? Is it just like playing yourself, playing other Eldar players on TTS, uh, playing myself, uh, losing the Quinn and WTC, you know, things like that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> losing is a great way to learn it for sure. That's <laughs> yeah, a Quinton's one. Of, Quinton's actually one of my. Uh, I have three losses in tenth edition with Eldar. Quinton's uh, one of my only losses. Well, Quinton's one of our Art of War coaches, so you know that stuff does yep. work too. <laughs> so Ben, talk to me a little bit about this event that you went to. This was was this your first Charity Hammer? This is my first Charity Hammer. Yes. What was Charity Hammer like? Uh, Charity Hammer was a just a giant event. Well, I shouldn't say giant event. It was it was a. A gathering of wonderful human beings uh, that I would I would gladly spend seventy two hours with any of them. They, it is the it is a gathering of some of the not not only 
best players in 40k, uh, but also just some of like the greatest humans to be around. Um, we, and we're all there for a good cause. We're all there with the same mindset. There's like if you want, like you, you can go to a tournament. You're always going to see some salt or some, you know, somebody that can be mad or disappointed. There's literally this is this is a Warhammer tournament slash event slash hangout, but there's zero of that. We're all here just having a blast. Like, you know, uh, we we all know we all we all you know got to know each other. Some of us had met for the first time. It was you know a, a great meet and greet. I got to see you know uh, plenty of people that uh, I've met you know and been friends throughout the years, or some people have been following me. And I just it was it was just great to be there. Uh, War Games Live Joe was there, so like we had all the community interaction this year. Um, it was honestly it was it was stunning. Yeah, it sounds great. So basically, charity event for those who don't know is like a once in a year event held by Colin Sherman and the Best in Faction podcast guys. On the guy puts it on out of his own house, out of his uh, the his own dime. You know, it's a very nice, hospitable thing, and it just it raises money for Child's Play, which is a charity for children who are in need, especially when they're sick or in the hospital, things like that. And it, it's <coughs> it's just an amazing experience to be at and be a part of. And really helps share the hobby in a really positive way for the world. And it's got the world's hardest RTT, or so it's branded. Uh, they didn't. It wasn't branded the hardest this year. Uh, you know, just just out of the uh, out of the attendance. But we do have everybody that that participated in a GT. Nick, may I remind you uh, that uh, that it is definitely everybody that has that is playing has won a GT or or something of the sort at some point. Um, and it's uh it's it, it definitely was it was seated and bracketed and de- done a little bit differently than like your swiss pairings uh but it definitely made the, made that a lot more interesting and we even had like a bracket like an ncaa type thing which was super hype that was a lot of fun that's really cool yeah so it was 32 players and i believe you were first seed right ben yeah it was it ended up being 30 because we had a few few drops due to people being sick um but uh yeah i was i was first seed and john lennon was second seed so we both got first round buys Nice. And I think a lot of players expected you and John to make it to the finals. I mean, as you would with first, second seed, but that did not happen at all. John got knocked out early. Yeah, it, actually, the first and second seed have never played uh, in, in Charity Hammer. Uh, in Is the finals. that real? Wow. Yep. It's a real statistic. Um, the other piece of that is that because of that, we kicked off the event with an exhibition match between me and John. So that was you can check that out on War Games Live. Who won the exhibition match? Uh, John did by five points. Oh, you check that out, John with the janky Tyranids. Maybe yeah, we'll on a, a different episode. <laughs> it was it was my it was my first rep with a with that version of Eldar, uh, and I didn't know what Tyranids did at all. So I definitely there's it was, it was definitely a learning game for me. So Ben, I want to take this moment to transition the conversation into what you actually took to Charity Hammer. If you want to just read your list top to bottom in this post balanced data slate world, we can then unpack it in part two of our conversation, which will be for subscribers, of course, on the AOW40K.com. So this is the uh, Eldari, obviously. And my characters are the Autark Wayleaper. Uh, He's equipped with a Dragon Fusion Gun, Howling Banshee Mask, and a Starglaive. Uh, The Avatar Arcane, um, a Farseer with no enhancements, uh, and the Incarn. In my other data sheets portion of my list, I have uh, two sets of Dark Reapers, two, uh, two Fire Prisms, one Night Spinner, one set of Shroud Runners, two Warwalkers, and a group of Warp Spiders. Pretty lean. 
pretty lean. Looks like your normal Eldar list. Of course, we're not looking at the Wraith Knight. Obviously, he's not really in consideration like he used to be. Um, that's quite a big hole, right? Like not having a Wraith Knight when you used to take a Wraith Knight. I mean, he was such a crutch to stand on. And not to imply that Eldar needs the crutch. Obviously, a lot of other things. And that's what we're going to unpack in this conversation. But when when the Wraith Knight got nerfed, what was the first thing that went through your head in terms of what you were going to do? Um, I was looking at... My original idea was Yunari Pivot. Um, however, with the increased Ravagers, uh, and kind of like once I actually built that list out, it just didn't look as good as I wanted it to be. And then it left out options like Fuegan and such, where you can't take the Phoenix Lord or anything. Um, and then I, I immediately switched back to Eldar and started like... I, I, Ran through some lists, ran some prismless lists, looked at some Wraithguard lists, looked at looked at some of the standard stuff, and I, I landed on two lists for a charity hammer. I was going to either run uh, 10 Wraithguard Incarn with two Fire Prisms and some Indirect, or I was going to run Double Avatar. And I was like, well, for charity and for stream, we're running monsters. So that's that's how we ended up on that list. Double Avatar for charity. Eldar's version of charity is a little bit different than mine. <laughs> No, nah, I just thought it'd be look, look a lot more fun, less boring than a ten wraith guard walking from behind a wall, blasting something and phantasming back. That's true. That's true. So, would you say this is like your strongest Eldar list, or is this just one of many? Oh, this is one of many. This is probably, especially with like, I have like two hundred and forty points of stuff that I didn't really enjoy in this list. Uh, so, this list is definitely changing. This isn't end all be all. Um, but I have other versions of Double Avatar that are a little bit more efficient. Plus, I still have the obvious Wraith Guard list I mentioned. Uh, and then there's other variations where you don't even have fire prisms and junk like that. All right, everybody, we're going to wrap this conversation up right there because I have so many questions I want to ask them, but they are all for part two. That is available for our subscribers on AOW40K.com. For just five bucks a month, you get access to all of Ben's knowledge in part two of this episode, plus part two of all of our other episodes, access to that archive where Ben has been on the show before, along with 200 other episodes and our amazing Discord server. So if you like this podcast, thank you so much for joining us, and please show your support. Check it out on our website, AOW40K.com. Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, sir. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Anytime. Listeners, we will see you over in part two. Thanks so much, and we'll be back. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War Down Under and Art of War Unbroken on the competitive 40K network. TheArtOfWar40K.com